0: Thank you, Parker and Catherine and choir and instrumentalists for our beautiful worship today. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. We'll also be looking at Luke chapter 7. So you might want to find that and have that ready toward uh, the end of our sermon. So Matthew 20 and Luke chapter 7. If you are visiting with us today, we are so grateful that you're here. I awoke every morning when I felt the warmth of the sun on my face, but I never saw a sunrise. I never saw light dance on the sea. I never saw my mother's smile. I never saw my father's dark eyes twinkle. I never saw the color red. As a child, I could see, But my mother told me of a childhood illness and then a high fever and then blindness. But I don't ever remember seeing. I don't remember color. All of my days seemed the same. I would fold up my colorless mat. I would eat colorless food, be led to the market to ask seeing people to put colorless coins into my colorless cup. I did know that my mother was soft and round, her face was smooth, with little crinkles around her eyes. My curious fingers had felt her face often. Sometimes she would stop what she was doing and let me look at her face with my little hands, and sometimes I would listen to familiar sounds that would tell me that she was making bread, or I I knew the sound of her sweeping or of her washing the dishes. Sometimes at night before I I went to bed, she would take me up on the flat of the roof where it was cool and comfortable and let me sit in her lap and I would sit breathlessly as she described all the stars of the sky to me. I knew there were times when she cried for me, her little blind boy, to me, the stars my mother's eyes were the same. Not wanting to be a burden on my family, I did the only thing that there was for me to do. I begged in the marketplace for years. Being blind and being invisible aren't that different, really. People tend to ignore you and walk past you. And stand within hearing distance and carry on a conversation as though you don't even exist. I learned a great many things in my little corner of the Jericho market sitting and listening. In fact, it was there that I first heard of the teacher from Nazareth. I heard him amongst the crowd called everything from a blasphemer to a teacher to a charlatan to even the hope that he might just might be the Messiah. All I knew was whoever he was, he certainly got the people awfully excited Then one day I heard the talking, that he was headed our way, that perhaps he was on his way to Jerusalem, but he was going to come right through our city, right through Jericho, which meant most likely he would come right through the market where I was begging. Well, my curiosity grew about his arrival until it was an obsession. I left earlier in the morning than usual because I didn't want him to come and I would miss him. And I stayed longer. I told my dad, I don't want you to lead me home yet because I was afraid if I, I went home from my begging early that when he passed through the market that I might miss him. I waited, straining my ears listening for the passing by of the rabbi from Nazareth. I had heard enough about him to know that if he could do only part of the things that people said that he could do, that he might be able to help me. Well, they said that he could heal the cripples, that he could turn water into wine, and that with a few fish and loaves of bread, that he could feed 5,000. And yes, though no prophet had ever done it before, give sight to the blind I had to meet him no I had to see him I had to see I heard them coming They were still a long distance away, but it's like the old walls of Jericho had picked up the reverberation of the crowd as they headed my way. The crowd grew noisier and noisier, and I knew that the Messiah, the teacher, was getting nearer and nearer, and the excitement was building up in me and welling up in my soul, and I was afraid that I might miss him, so I started running down the winding paths and the alleys of Jericho, and me, a blind man, that would never work so. I decided to just sit and wait in hopes that he would see me. But I was afraid. There's so many gathered there wanting to get a glimpse of that rabbi from Nazareth. I had to shout out lest he miss me. Son of David! Son of David! Have mercy on me! Help me! Help me here! Help me here, teacher! Help me here! Well, I got someone's attention Because the people that had moved into my area, well, they told me to shut up. That he didn't have time for anyone like me. That was making way too much noise. But hey, when you're blind, what do you have to lose? This was my one chance. Son of David, have mercy on me. Someone pushed me to the ground. Another one threw my cloak over my face. And I felt the crowd pass on by. And my soul began to sob because I knew that I had missed my chance for a miracle. And then there was a hush, a silence as the crowd grew still. It's the first time I heard his voice. Call him here, the rabbi said. Then I, I felt someone poke me and say, Get up, blind man. The teacher's asking for you. I jumped on my feet. I left my cloak behind. And it it was this a million hands were guiding me and pushing me towards the healer, towards the teacher. And then he asked the obvious, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I, I... I want to see, I said. I want to see. Well, go your way. Your faith has made you well. I was stunned. Suddenly there was a a painful burst of light in my eyes. There were glittering particles shimmering in the midst of them. Right there in the center, there he was, a man in the middle. I knew it had to be Jesus. I looked at the one before me. His dusty sandals, his worn robe, and his, well, that's, that's what a grin looks like, his grin. His eyes, I, I looked at his eyes, and his eyes looked back at me. And that's when I began to follow Jesus. Why do we have stories like this in the Bible from so long ago? that Jesus healed two blind men on the Jericho Road heading to Jerusalem. So what? What difference does a story like that make today? Are these stories recorded so that we can be amazed about what Jesus was able to do in the past? I don't think that's why they're recorded. I don't think that's all there is to it. The purpose of the story is to tell us what Jesus still does. Around every corner by the sea and in the city, Jesus is busy touching people and changing their life. And Jesus is as alive today as he was on that road from Jericho. In his outstretched hands, he wants to touch us with his grace too. There's a catch, however, you see, it is only the blind that are brave enough to cry out. The, of all the people that we see in Scripture come to Jesus, they have one thing in common they all have broken pride. In every story, in different ways, from all walks of life, people have been pushed to the edge of self sufficiency. They've made a decision which God's word holds up as an example for us to step beyond their own self-sufficiency into the grace of God. You see, I don't think this story is primarily about physical healing at all. In fact, as you read the text that Corky read is he wants his eyes opened is what he asked for. The parallel is that those who are spiritually blind would now be able to see the grace of God and be able to perceive Jesus as the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel. He doesn't feed 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish in order to tell us about just nourishing bread, but rather he wants us to know that he is the bread of life. He is the bread come down from heaven. But God's healing is hindered until our pride is broken. God can't do anything in your life as long as you are depending upon yourself. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 29, in following Jesus, disciples are leaving Jericho and a large crowd is following Jesus on the way to Jerusalem and some of the crowd are simply curious, hey, they want to keep a self dis- safe distance from this rabbi. Many of us follow Jesus that way too. Don't get too involved with the Jesus thing. You might get hurt. Don't get too loyal. You might get branded. Don't show too much concern they might crucify you too. We have a lot of people like that, don't we? People who want to keep religion in its place. People who don't want to stir the water. People who reek with mediocrity. People, the ones who know how to keep their distance. Now, I'll pay my dues, pastors, and I'll come once in a while, but you can get carried away with this church thing, you know. As Max Lucado says, yes, you can get carried away up a hill to a cross and be killed. Follow at a distance and you'll deny the master. You won't die for a man you're not close enough to touch. But if you stay near to him in his shadow, you might die with him gladly. Bartimaeus. Of the gospel writers who record this pericope, this story, only Mark tells us the name of one of them. And we learn of the two blind men. One of them goes by the name of Bartimaeus. His cry, have mercy on me, son of David, have mercy on me. is the cry of the afflicted from the Psalms. That's what the psalmist cries out to Yahweh. Have mercy on me, O God. And that Son of David thing, that is Messiah language. It is the title for the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 11 in Jeremiah 23 or Ezekiel 34. Early in his ministry, Jesus had silenced everyone who dared call him the Messiah. He even told the demons, don't say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Holy One. Keep that quiet. But now... By this time in Matthew, Jesus is headed for Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he's headed for crucifixion. And so now it's okay. He's on his own timetable and he's ready to die. And so he's okay if you say he's now the Messiah. In fact, he wants to die as the anointed one of Israel to redefine what it means to be the Holy One of Israel. And so they cry out with that messianic title, Son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the crowd say. They're embarrassed by them. Don't you have any pride? Can't you see the teacher is busy? Now pipe down. But they continued to cry, Lord, have mercy on me. When you're already broken, What do you have to lose? When you sit blind, how much darker could life really become? The irony of the story is the crowd that's trying to hush the blind man thinks that it sees and he's in the dark. but. In beautiful narrative fashion, Matthew is turning it on his head, and the blind man is the one who actually sees Jesus for who he is. He is the one who has on his lips the son of David, the title of the Messiah, or this teacher from Nazareth. Two blind men sitting on the side of the road, Passing time, passing life in the dust. They knew that they were blind. Did you hear that? They knew that they were blind. Broken eyes, broken lives, missed opportunities. They were no great catch for brides-to-be. There were no parents' dreams of great success in that culture for a blind man. No wonderful expectations of a prosperous future. But when they heard that Jesus was going by, two blind men saw a chance for healing, a chance for hope when they heard that it was Jesus. Life can humble you when you are self sufficient. It's only when all that is stripped away that God comes to the forefront. We cannot be a people of self-sufficiency and at the same time receive the graces of God. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? A cry for mercy from a broken spirit always gathers the attention of God. A cry for mercy from one with a broken spirit always gathers the attention of God. Lord, we want to see. We want our eyes opened. Tired of life in the dark and willing to step into the light, willing to see color and cloud, willing to see streams of water and streams of light. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. The crowd was embarrassed by them, but Jesus was embracing to them. Jesus sees not two meaningless beggars, but two broken lives who need the touch of grace that heals brokenness. Oddly enough, in this story, is the key to wholeness. They received their sight and followed him. These two stepped not only into the light of the sun, they stepped into the light of life, of understanding. The saving touch of Jesus always produces a desire to follow the healer. You notice what it says. Then they began to follow him. It also causes proclamation about the one who healed, brokenness. You cannot come to Jesus in the safety of the crowd, not really wanting anyone to see or or know about your brokenness, that you're blind, that you're lame, that yes, you are a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm not really sure whatever happened to brokenness, to repentance. It just sort of went out of style, didn't it? Society tells us that whatever we've done really isn't all that bad, and we're not any worse off than our neighbors, our sin's not any worse than the next guy's, and we somehow have convinced ourselves as sinners that we're okay. Our sin isn't really all that big of a deal. And when we do that, Jesus just walks right past us and doesn't stop with his healing grace. For it is only when in our broken spirit we cry, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner, that we're able to truly receive God's grace, brokenness has always been a part of repentance. We live in a world today where people dare not cry out in their brokenness. They're more worried about what someone else might think than we are about admitting our need for healing. Do you remember when John the baptizer was in jail, the cousin of Jesus? He is the one who had told us, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. And then he finds himself in Herod's dungeon and he sends his disciples to ask his cousin the question, Hey, are you the one? Was I right? Are you really the Messiah? Or do we need to start looking for somebody else? Let me know. Are you really he? Do you remember Jesus' response? You go back and you tell John. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those, Those with leprosy are cured. The deaf can now hear and the dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. How do we know he's the Messiah? What is the evidence? How do you fulfill the prophecy? old rabbi from Nazareth, John asked the question, Are you really he? And how would we know? Here's how you know. The blind see. Old Testament prophets didn't do that. The lame are leaping. The deaf are hearing. Those with leprosy have clear skin, and those who are poor, those who are poor have the gospel preached to them. Do you see a common thread about how the Messiah works? In every one of those stories, it is brokenness, blindness, lameness, deafness, poor. Those who really... No, they need the Savior. Psalm 146, David had said, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Some of us are unsure whether Jesus is really the answer. And so we sit in the darkness on the Jericho Road with only one thing standing between us and the new life and Jesus' light, and that's our pride. And notice Jesus just walks by because we're too proud to cry out, and we let the crowd silence us. In this story, only the blind cry out, and only the blind are healed. We can hide in the crowd with our pride, go unnoticed, but yet you will go untouched by Jesus. Do you remember that story from Luke's gospel? Look over it, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him, 736 of Luke. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she heard that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet, and anointing them with the perfume. The Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to him, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who's touching him. She is a sinner. Mark describes it this way. She broke the vial and poured the perfume on his head. As long as the slender beaker, the vessel was intact, the aroma was held captive as a family treasure, this expensive perfume. But only when it was broke, cracked, could it let out the power and the aroma of the perfume and anoint the Savior for his death. The vial is a symbol of her brokenness, isn't it? In the story, she's the one that's broken. The Pharisee's not broken. She is a sinner, and she knows it. And though the Pharisee doesn't know that Jesus knows, Jesus knows it. The Pharisee knows it. Everybody gathered around the table knows it. But yet, in her brokenness, verse 48, Jesus says to her, Your sins have been forgiven. You see, there are two characters on that Jericho road. There there are two blind men who are willing to cry out in their brokenness. Then there are others who have too much pride and they won't say that they're blind or broken. And there are two people at the table that day. There's a woman who's a sinner who's broken like her vial, and who knows she's a sinner and she only seeks the grace of her Lord and she wipes his feet with her hair. And then there's the Pharisee who says if he just knew what kind of woman she was, he wouldn't let her touch him like that. So who were you in these stories? Are you blind and willing to shout out until He gives you some attention? I am blind. Have mercy on me, Son of David. I need you. Are you keep quiet? Are you willing to come and wash His feet as a sinner and break the vial in the brokenness of your sin? Or do you sit there like the Pharisee and want no part of any? of that, so focused on the sins of others that you cannot see your own. Only the blind cry out, and only the broken are healed. Here's one more scriptural image of brokenness. 1 Corinthians 11:24. 24. The Lord's Supper. This is my body which is broken for you. Broken people meet the broken body of the Christ and grace spills out. Broken people, blind people, sinners. Broken vows meet the brokenness of his body. This is my body, which is broken for you. It is the only equation for grace. If we remain whole, of course we're not. But if we pretend to remain whole, the grace will not happen. If he was not willing to be broken and die, the grace would be absent. But in our brokenness and sin and his brokenness and sacrifice, we receive the grace of God. I hear him now passing through Jericho the way to Jerusalem to be crucified. It's your only chance. Will you sit in silence or will you cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Let us pray. Oh God, we're all the blind Bartimaeus on the Jericho Road. We all need to have faith in the Messiah. We all need him to stop and touch us and heal us with his grace. Oh God, perhaps there's someone here in this room or or someone watching by way of television and this is her day. This is his day to come and say, I proclaim Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. He's passing. Will we cry out? Maybe there are others that need to come and be a part of this church that is nothing more than a a group of broken people who come to the Messiah with a broken body to gather around the grace of his empty tomb. Maybe that's your call today, O Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.